Welcome to Music Sense. I am your host, Richard Vachon. And today my guest is Wayne Toes. When we research this name, we find things that are amazing. You receive quite a few awards. In 1987, for example, we received the Outstanding Achievement Award from the Saskatchewan Music Educators Association. In 1990, you received the Golden Wheel Award for Excellence in Arts and Education from the Rotary Clubs of Saskatoon. In 2001, you received the Orchestral Development Award from the Saskatchewan Orchestral Association. In 2009, you received the Distinguished Band Director Award from the Saskatchewan Band Association. And in 2013, you received the Honorary Life Membership Award from the Saskatchewan Music Educators. So there's quite uh, an achievement here. There's quite a history that is behind this. Uh, Mr. Toes is famous for the Saito conducting method which he started the study in 1974 at the Courtney Youth Music Camp with Professor Morohi Hiro Okabe and Maestro Kazuyoshi Akayima. Uh, he, uh, he, was, he prepared uh, the English edition of the Seito Conducting Method that was published in 1988. Uh, he had articles about the method that were published in the NSOA Bulletin. And what does that mean, NSOA? That's the National String Orchestra Association that used to exist in the United States. <laughs> now okay. it's the American String Teachers Association. Okay. Uh, that were published, and articles that were published also in the in Instrumentalist in the BCMEA, what's, what's the meaning of BCMEA? That's the British Columbia Music Educators Association. Okay. Uh, we're published in the music scene and we're published in the SMEA, the cadenza. SMEA, what does it mean? That's the Saskatchewan Music Educators Association. Okay. So I skip, uh, just one thing that uh, attracted my attention. I mean, there are many things that attracted my attention. There's tons of things. Uh, I don't want to make an introduction. It's too long. But one of the things that uh, attracted my attention is that uh, Saito was one of the founder of uh, the Toho Gakuen School of Music, where he taught the, the method and this conducting method. Morohiro. Okabe, who was in the first conducting class, became Saito's teaching assistant and helped to create a textbook from Saito's teachings notes. Then Seiji Ozawa, uh, finally something, a uh, uh, Japanese name that I can relate to, uh. <laughs> one of my favorite conductors, was uh, uh, among the early graduates of the conducting program. And Mr. Uh, Toes is still teaching, if I say this method, uh, to this day. I have a friend that introduced me to him, uh, Brittany, that I uh, interviewed in the previous and in in previously. 
and uh, I'm looking forward to hear about our guest. Uh, so my question is, uh, uh, I always start with this question to my to my guest. Uh, tell us about our, your life. It's it sounds like uh, it sounds like as if I did not research my guest hello uh, when I asked such a question. <laughs> uh, but in fact, what I'm searching is what uh, made you what made you uh, interested into music, if I can see, the, 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 the beginning of your life? What made you passionate about music? What are the turning points of your life according to music? Uh, well, thank um, you. I'm very happy to meet you. I don't, I, it's a, it's, it is, and I forgot to say, it is an honor to have you uh, with me today. Yes. Thank you so much. I was born in Winnipeg, as you've seen, and one day when I was four years of age, a man came to our door and asked whether there were anybody, any children that might like to learn to play violin. So, uh, yes, I was interested. I'm not four years sure old. that I knew what this was all about, but uh, I was interested. So uh, I took lessons from the Canadian Institute of Music, and uh, I discovered later that one of my famous classmates is Gwen Thompson, who's made uh, an incredible career as a performer, mostly out of Vancouver. So as we continued, there was lots of support from my parents. Uh, my father loved to play a guitar. It didn't matter if it had all six strings on it or not, but he liked to play around and sing. And um, I discovered that my grandfather uh, was or played violin. I wouldn't call him a violinist, but he played violin. And uh, actually, he had a violin of mine for many years. My maternal grandfather was a homesteader here in Saskatchewan. And he met a fellow who said, uh, when he found out that I was playing violin, when you are big enough, I have a violin for you. And it turned out that he gave it to me before I was big enough and my grandfather played it for a number of years. I found out also that uh, I had an uncle who played trumpet and that uh, an aunt who played piano and I didn't ever hear them play. I lived far enough away from them that that wasn't uh, part of what we could do or I had a chance to hear them. So there was an attitude at least that this was something important and I think I had very good lessons when I was in Winnipeg. I have several photographs of the group playing in the Playhouse Theatre which I think still exists in one form or another there. So it was, very, that, yes. it was a very big uh, deal for us to have a concert and to stand on stage and it was very important. So I was having private lessons but I also played with a group which pre preceded a lot of the kinds of things that uh, my children participated in with the Suzuki program. Yes. So you talked about uh, important events. When yes, we moved it's a, to Saskatoon in 1950. If I can interrupt you just one second, uh, it seems to be something that is common. Uh, in people that are listening to classical music, that are interested in classical music, to have been exposed when they were young, 
And uh, in your case, it was your father, as you said, that was playing the guitar. Uh, yes, although I, I wouldn't call anything that he played much more than popular material. Yeah, he but... Had a, uh, he had a few that... Uh, it was an attitude, I think, a joyous attitude that uh, was infectious. Yes. Uh, the, at least you had some... You're exposed to music, some, some good spirited music, if I say, you at, at a young age. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. When we moved to Saskatoon, I had the opportunity to sing in a brand new boys choir uh, from our school. It was called the Westmount Boys Choir. It later became the Saskatoon Boys Choir. Uh, I continued my study of violin when we moved to Saskatoon, but uh, the boys choir became quite a thing. We did lots of performances for a variety of uh, service clubs and so on, and we were selected to perform at the very first Canadian Music Educators Conference that was held in Winnipeg. And one of the items uh, in the concert that we performed in was a performance by the Winnipeg Symphony. And they played the Toreador song from Carmen. Oh. And uh, that in a way kind of became my theme song. Uh, it, it struck me strongly, and I thought it was really interesting. And when I was conducting our youth orchestra here in Saskatoon, I uh, used that each year. And we would play it, we'd be able to play it from memory. And it was a lot of, uh, well, I guess a lot of fun, but it was an important kind of learning because everybody was playing from memory and rather than just something that uh, we were trying to read quickly to be able to perform in the next concert. So it became a staple in what we were doing. So, so that, the, that performance was really a motivator. So your, your uh, first uh, classical piece that, that, that striked you was from uh, Carmen of Bizet. Yes, it was. Yes. And uh, how do you call that piece already? It's the Toreador song. Ah, the Toreador. Torre yeah, there are lots of... Uh, that's right. There are lots of words that go with it, but most of them should not be said in public. There's a song that is even more, uh, uh, you know, uh, provocative with Carmen. The, the, uh, the, <laughs> yes. the, 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 the beginning. Uh, huh? That's the, right. Uh, yes. Actually, uh, one of the recordings that uh, my colleague George Charpanche and I made with our youth orchestra is a recording of the suite, and uh, we performed it in the Jubilee Auditorium in Winnipeg. Okay. And it was one of those situations where the students were excited, we had a wonderful audience, and George did a magnificent job of, of conducting the group through that. So. It, it's the kind of thing where if there's a piece of music that can capture your imagination, and of course we know that it can bring back all kinds of memories. Absolutely. So sometimes we, when we hear the piece, we can think about the people who played some of the more important or the solo parts. Uh, we can certainly think about the, the brass entrance that in almost all recordings is imperfect. <laughs> uh, so all of a sudden the brass players have to get with it and, and play with the rest of the group there's so many I've, plays so, so many pieces in Carmen that uh, that are popular uh, for, that's for the exactly to play, right yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a gift to our musical community and uh, community as a whole 
when I was in Saskatoon, I had the opportunity to study with Murray Adaskin. And this was another momentous kind of opportunity because he knew everyone in the Canadian music scene. And um, I became a helper for him at recitals. I had a chance to meet many of the prominent composers and performers uh, who had come to Saskatoon. So again, it's a motivator. And we, we didn't have some of the resources like we do with the internet where we could just look up a name, you know, but I would hope that people would remember the original Orford Quartet and Andy Dawes. Andy was a student of Maria Daskin's and certainly one of the, the most incredible gifted violinists of his age. So having an opportunity to uh, rub shoulders with uh, those particular artists and to, uh, I suppose, kind of be shown what it could be like if someone is prepared to do the, the work and so on. So, um, there were a few exciting situations as a performer with a symphony, but many of the ones that I remember best were my work with my school groups and certainly with um, the youth orchestra that I conducted for 25 years. So the, the idea of what we've often referred to as a peak moment, yes. I think is something that I often suggested that's what we always wanted to do for the players. And mm -hmm. one of the, the moments that I remember so well was our Saskatoon Youth Orchestra playing at the Quebec Youth Orchestra Festival in Laval, Quebec. Oh, and welcome we were to doing, Quebec. Yes, <laughs> we were doing the uh, Klinikoff First Symphony. And at the end of our performance, the audience that consisted of other young players and their teachers and parents screamed and stood and applauded and sustained that applause for so long. And I Bravo. think most of the people who were in uh, the orchestra at that time will remember that because they really did perform spectacularly. Okay. And we um, were challenged each year to apply for the Canadian Music Educators Award. And we won it six successive times. And uh, it was a real tribute to the young people who worked so hard to try to get to that level because we were very much aware of what other groups were doing. When we went to Lavelle, we heard the magnificent Montreal Youth Orchestra and the West Island Youth Orchestra with Stuart Grant. and. We knew what was going on in Calgary and Edmonton and in Vancouver to a certain extent. But okay. uh, in order to get to that level, we mm -hmm. had to really work hard. And mm -hmm. one of the great breakthroughs for me and for the young people was to go to Banff. Okay. I spent 15 Easter holidays at the Banff Center as a student, as a teacher, as a music director. And there was an organization called the Canadian Association of Youth Orchestras that held, held festivals there. And they would welcome orchestras from all across Canada. And then they would bring in guest conductors. Some of them were ideal, Canadian. Some of them an were ideal place. An oh, ideal yeah. place for having uh, uh, music uh, camps. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And 
they hired so many of Canada's finest instructors. So we know that young people are overwhelmed. There are so many demands on their time. And, and frankly, we know that young musicians are typically really involved, bright people who want to do everything. So someone says, you want to try this out? And they'll, they'll say, yeah, I'd like to, I had a new course in school or some other kind of challenge. They'll be among the first to, to do it. So having an opportunity to take the orchestra away for a week or 10 days, have them immersed in the music. And then also each evening, uh, a different orchestra was featured. So not only the, the excitement of getting our group ready to perform for the others, but hearing all of these other orchestras. And then also we would have opportunities to listen to the instructors. I mean, I've, I've told Stuart Grant many times that hearing him play oboe on that stage at the Banff Center was just magical. Hmm. And then we heard some of the young people like Laurent Fenivesh, who played and he was so magnificent. He was 30 years older than any of the other instructors, but he still outplayed them all. It was just so superb. So as a young conductor, having a chance to observe other conductors and having an opportunity to uh, develop a positive relationship with them, such as Georg Tintner and Simon Stretfield, and there were so many others. Uh, to be able to hear their perspective about how the music should go, what would make it more interesting, uh, was really a valuable part of my education. So that was uh, a large part of it. Then, uh, because I had attended the Courtney Youth Music Camp and really didn't know what to expect when I went to that workshop, um, we went thinking that maybe we would learn some interpretation of the music. And what we discovered was we had no technique. We couldn't drop our arms. We had to learn how to drop our arms. So- What do you mean? Uh, well, physically learn how to relax enough to drop our arms. And you mean the, uh, in, in the, when you conduct? That's correct, yes. Okay. If it's, you watch uh, so many conductors, they'll throw their arms. And in that situation, it's very difficult to tell where the beat point is going to uh, is going to exist, where I mean, the sound uh, is supposed to start. You you look at conductors and uh, they have very different styles. Sometimes uh, you you look at some of them and uh, you have the impression that it's a real workout. They're 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 moving so much when they're conducting them. It's, it's they're completely exhausted at the end of the concert. And That's you right. have others, and you have others who are. Hardly moving, hardly making any gesture, and uh, they obtain uh, magnificent results. Uh, I was talking to Brittany about Georges Prêtre, yes, French conductor, uh, when he conducted the uh, Vienna Symphony Orchestra for the uh, New Year concert twice, and they called yes. him twice for that. So he was so good. And you look at him conducting, and uh, he's hardly moving. <laughs> <laughs> and he gets and it's and he, he he succeeded to get the best of this orchestra he the, this orchestra is playing better with him than anybody else <laughs> yeah it's uh and, and i think that that's a lesson that more conductors need to learn the simple fact is 
that if you were to read most conducting books, you'd see that there's a focus on the path the gesture takes. Yes. But if you listen carefully, and we're so fortunate now to be able to see videos on YouTube and see what the various conductors did. Exactly. If you were to turn the volume off and try to clap your hands with what you think the beat is, you'll find out that with some, it's impossible. <laughs> and, and so, you know, I've often thought if a person is driving a very good sports car, you don't have to do so much work, right? Exactly. Yeah. If your exactly. wheels are just aligned and so on, then it's a different problem. So, exactly. I, you that, know, my idea was credit, <laughs> the greatest credit goes to, to the, the, uh, those the Vienna people Symphony. who are working with community orchestras. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I wonder if the whole work is not done during the re rehearsals. The whole so when work comes is, the concert, they, they, the whole they, work they, is done by the musicians. Do. Yes, <laughs> the whole work is done by the musicians. Yeah. If you watch, many of the players just watch the concertmaster, or they watch within the section. Watch how the woodwinds move in order to stay together. That's how they do it. Now, there are a few conductors where the orchestra just can take a huge sigh and say, now I can trust that I'm not going to be embarrassed if I come in at one point or another. You see, the, the professionals don't dare to make a mistake because you'll never blame it on the conductor. You'll blame it on the player. Okay. The player wasn't watching. Well, the simple fact is there may not have been anything that would help that the player should have watched. <laughs> so that, and what happens then is that the, the players will, will just find other resources to stay together. Exactly. Now, your point about the rehearsals is critically important. Yes. But in many cases, we're sharing a vision, what my teacher called a characterization for that particular piece of music. And then everything that we do with our gestures, with our posture, with our facial expression has to be consistent with that. And in, in the cases of the best, then absolutely that, that happens. But you know, it would be good if we saw more youth orchestra conductors conducting and compared that to some of the people who are paid the big dollars <laughs> to work with the world's best musicians. Mm. The big guys really don't need that much guidance. So, you know, tell me how fast you want me to go. I see in the page, the page says, this is the articulation, this is the dynamic. If there are no changes from that, I'll play what's on the page. That's, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. Okay. But the magic comes when there is this respectful collaboration between the player and the conductor. Yes. where there's this little bit of magic where you can play with the time with your gesture. Well, and then yes. all of a sudden you say, oh yeah, that's, that's how that piece should go. So, yes. yes. Uh, that was part of my introduction. This is what I want to share with people about classical music. Uh, it's not just about following the beat. You know, uh, when I talk about the beat, it's not... Uh, it's not something that should be rigid. 
all the time. It's something that uh, great conductors can make flexible. You can Absolutely. accelerate it. You can accelerate a little bit. You can decelerate a little bit. Uh, you can uh, apply what we call the rubato. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this, this gives the expression to the music. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that the problem here is uh, the training of conductors is so different from one part of the world to the other. I had the privilege of going to Japan in 1983 to study with Professor Okabe at Toho Gakuen School of Music. And while I was there, I went with Professor Okabe to a preparatory school. I didn't know what a preparatory school was, but I watched six-year-olds taking music dictation. And I wondered if any of the young people I worked with at a grade nine or even a grade 12 level could have done that dictation. Then when we got to the 14-year-olds, wow. the difficulty of their dictation was, I would suggest, at least equivalent to what most good universities would give. And okay. then when I saw his first university-level class, he played a complex eight-measure phrase, did it once, everyone had it correct. So this is harmonic and melodic. Okay. So the, the whole idea here of having a different kind of preparation, a different kind of music education, I think is, is really critical. And uh, what you probably will know too, is that there are some people who are magnificent musicians who suddenly think they can conduct. <laughs> and of course- we've, Which we've is not always the case. <laughs> no, as a matter of fact, it's rarely the case. Uh, there are some active conductors now who have learned a lot in the years. But, uh, you know, unless they have an open mind, and a few of them do, uh, they're brilliant people. They have some incredible gifts, but they think, oh, this is easy. We'll just get in and, and do a bunch of stuff and everybody will make, make the music. And the secret is that these people just want to make music. The players want to make the music. And you could wiggle your nose, and I've shown that on my workshops, and they'll still play beautifully because mm -hmm. the, the directions are in the printed music. Yes. So that becomes part of it. I want to tell you about a wonderful experience that I've had over the last few years. A dear friend of mine, Jose Elizondo, who's mm -hmm. Mexican-American, He's back living now in Boston, but spent quite a bit of time in Europe doing his primary job, which is a voice recognition engineer. Okay. So when you work with Siri, when you talk on the telephone to a robot, <laughs> well, part of that is artificial intelligence, yeah. Yeah. So um, he's also an incredible composer. And I first met him actually online back in the uh, 1990s. And we didn't actually have a chance to meet in person until I traveled to Boston to teach in uh, 2012. But this past year, as part of a celebration on World Day in uh, Panama with the Pope, uh -oh. he was asked to write a piece for a French cellist, Sebastian Herard, that would be played by Sebastian 
and a children's orchestra. Okay. So Jose said, you've conducted these young people for a long time. Can you look through the music and make some suggestions so that it's very easily playable? Well, uh, it turned out that the little children didn't get involved with it. There were a number of other complicating factors and we won't go into the specifics, but at any rate, it is a magnificent piece. The English title is The Dawn of Hope, La Alborada de la Esperanza. Okay. So he uh, wrote it initially for cello and cello and piano. And there's a magnificent recording with Sebastian and his wife playing The Dawn of Hope with that arrangement. Okay. And then Jose started to make other arrangements of it. And I made some arrangements of it. I suggested a few things to him with the string orchestra arrangement. And we've listened to different people play this piece. And uh, he teases me that it's our piece, not his piece. But okay. um, it is a gem. It's going to be around for many, many years after we're long gone. But listening to people play his music often shows us quickly that they really don't understand how it can be made more compellingly beautiful. Okay. And um, Sebastian's wife, Pamela, is a pianist, and mm -hmm. she does an absolutely magical job of the piano part, using what you talked about with the rubato. Yes, yes. With these very subtle shades of not mm -hmm. only time, but also dynamic. Mm -hmm. So the piece is moderately slow, but you can listen to at least a dozen of these arrangements on YouTube. I did the one for viola ensemble and for cello ensemble. They've both been performed. Uh, the viola one uh, was done in Montreal and it's online. But the differences between these are, uh, I would suggest provide a really good education about phrasing, about the yes. notions of how do we make this uh, continue? Uh, my teacher, uh, Dr. Adaskin, talked about la grande ligne, the long line. Yes. How do we make this piece continue on and on and on and on and make it so gorgeous? So the, this has been an important opportunity for me to learn at a, a really profound level because I know the piece so well and I care so much about it, how it can be translated by different people. Yes, how oh, you can give it more expression. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, it Have has you... to do starting with tempo. <laughs> yes. Have yes. you seen this video from Benjamin Zender? Yes. The TED talk from uh, Benjamin Zender. Yes. He's an enthusiast. Uh, yes. And he, he gives a perfect demonstration of, I say, using a piece of Chopin on how to use the rubato to give it the right expression. Yes. Yeah. Uh, if you if you just if you if you just have a, a rigid uh, rhythm, if I can say uh, people are all bored, if I can say after a while, I had a friend like that who uh, you know he, he thought he sent me something great. You know he told me, uh, the, "You listen to this Mozart piano concerto. You tell me what you think. Yeah, that's the best I've ever heard." So I reply, "Boring." 
<laughs> Boring. He's always on the beat. There's no, there's, there's no variation of the beat. There's, 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 there's no expression. After a while, you get, you get bored. Absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, you want to give life to this thing. You have to uh, play a little bit with the rhythm. No? It's rare for people to have an opportunity to hear musicians discuss those kinds of elements. Yes. Um, Seiji Ozawa, as a tribute to Hideo Saito, his teacher, created the Saito Kinan Orchestra. Saito Kinan, Kinan means memorial. So many of Saito's students had gone through the world. Many of them ended up in Europe in orchestras as professional musicians. Uh, for their day, they were among the finest uh, uh, students you'd find anywhere. And uh, Saito did a phenomenal job of inspiring and directing these people to excellence. And I, I think that, you know, that's part of the, uh, the tribute and excitement to, uh, to his work. The first symphony of Brahms had been a standard by not only the orchestras at Tohogakuen, but also now with the Saitokinen Orchestra. Mm -hmm. As a performance, it is absolutely breathtaking. Whether one likes the way Mr. Ozawa uh, has interpreted the work or not, mm -hmm. it is absolutely together, mm -hmm. absolutely together. And it has one kind of unified vision of this. So it's incredibly powerful. That may be uh, why I was attracted so much, why I like so much Francis Seiji Ozawa. Yes. Now but, I, uh, want to but tell the... you, I want to tell you, though, that yes. I heard a recording of the second movement conducted by Janowski. Mm -hmm. And the oboist there does some things with the oboe solo, the phrasing of it, which mm -hmm. I would suggest is magical. Mm. He, he has a certain kind of freedom to what he interpreted this little passage to be. Yes. So uh, it was a good example for me to say the Cytokinian orchestra was magnificent, but this was magical. This yes. second movement, by the orchestra was absolutely magical. Yes. So I think it's a combination of our being constructively critical and open-minded. And I've often suggested that conducting in music has certain dialects. Mm -hmm. um, in my workshops, I love to use a piece um, of Bulgarian music. How, as a conductor, uh do you uh what are the signs that the conductor gives to the orchestra to slow down or to accelerate because they have all the music on their page and uh you know this question of rubato something is some is something sometimes some is something personal the, from the conductor sometimes it's not something that is written on the score absolutely uh so how how do you you know, how, what kind of gesture do you use uh, for the orchestra to slow down or to accelerate? What, how do you do this? This is what I've called Saito's secret. Aha. Let me, <laughs> let me share with you because it's not difficult. <laughs> We've often focused on where the beat occurs. 
Yes. Saito said, look elsewhere. Look at where the motion is the slowest. So for example, if we use natural acceleration and deceleration for our gestures, I'll show you. If I use, it should be easy to tell where the beat point is. Yes. Okay. That's the that's the demo that you have on the on the website, yes. Yes. So then if we want to do what you suggested, yes. All we need to do is to change the timing of the slowest place of the gesture. Okay. So if I go you can't play. Okay. I haven't so you given don't... you permission to play. I haven't come down yet. Okay, okay. So if I go, okay, there you go. So we've been looking at, I won't say the wrong spot because I tell people that no, there are no gestures that are wrong. There are just some that demonstrate the music more easily than others. Okay, so but, the the, uh, the so your 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 sign to accelerate or decelerate is just before just before the beat. Absolutely. Yes. All the time. Yes. Because if it comes on the beat, it's, it's too, too late. late. The players exactly. can't do anything about it, right? That's it. That's but it. I want to tell you that uh, Saito has incorporated a group of gestures that we've called from point. So I went like this. Now can you tell this? Oh, you go straight lines instead of, uh, of uh, round. That's right. So I start from the beat and I go one, two, three. So that works beautifully if the music has a steady tempo yes. and is continuing. I get mm -hmm. out of the way of the players. I let them play. I'm okay. just moving along with them. I'm doing, I'm dancing with them, right? Okay. Okay. I'm not, I'm not imposing it. Now, if I combine... But if you want to impose, then you go back to the uh, the uh, circular movement. Uh, well, it doesn't always have to be circular. It okay. can be stronger than that. So oh. the point the point being, though, that if I combine these two different kinds of gestures, yes. then I can have some more opportunity to make the music. So if I were to go... <laughs> Etc. So the whole notion here is that the we don't want to fool the orchestra. So yes. the orchestra has to know it says rubato on the music. Yeah. Yes. But once we've they've had a chance to see how I will show the rubato, mm -hmm. then it becomes easy for us to work together. Exactly. It's not fair to the players, and they won't tolerate it if you mm -hmm. change up. From what you were doing in rehearsal to the concert okay unless you give some kind of special sign if you say watch something else is going to happen we're going to do something different okay so because it may happen you may get some uh, some ideas at the moment of the concert that you haven't thought before it's usually trying to avoid disaster <laughs> 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 yes so uh, the the whole idea here is that we need to train 
the arms of the conductors so that they can relax and have their motions represent the natural acceleration and deceleration. And once they have these sets of gestures and apply them to the music, then they're free to do all of these things. And I'll tell you that you don't have to tell the players what's going on. They, they don't understand the magic necessarily, but they know it's happening. And okay. it, it doesn't matter whether you're working with children, um, you know, say grade five or grade six, or you're working with professionals. It's, um, it will be something that will support the music they're making. So that's, that's the critical thing. And Saito gave us this great gift of having uh, us think about uh, the training that we need to do and how do we associate that training with music so that uh, it benefits everybody. And you may have been in a concert where you say, I have no idea what the conductor is doing. Yes. I, have, I, can't, I can't tell. I, uh, fact, some, sometimes I'm just wondering if I can say, how, how can they follow the, this guy? That's just... Uh... Right. <laughs> and the secret is they don't. And unfortunately, they're not that good because of that. That's right. Yes. But I, I often have <clears throat> used a term from one of my colleagues who had played piano for our workshops for many years. They're playing scared. They're playing frightened. And so when you add that level of concern and fear yes, to yes. What, what should be a pleasurable experience. Yes. And, you know, we also have to be aware of the fact that the players can do the, the things, but sometimes they have to have such a high level of technical competence. Hmm. You know, the typical audition piece for the viola for mm. an orchestra is the passage from Don Juan by Strauss. Okay. Oh, it is really difficult. Okay. So if you catch out of the corner of your eye, when you're playing this, something which is distracting and makes no musical sense, then I think that um, that's where the people go. I won't watch. I can't watch because, you know, when I did watch it fell apart. Okay. And there is nothing worse. I played okay. a concert where we were playing the Messiah. Oh, and in one of the movements, mm -hmm. our side of the orchestra beat the other side of the orchestra to the end of the movement by several measures. Uh oh, there was nothing we could do about it. Uh -oh. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> when you're playing to a large audience, And you say, I, where can I crawl under so that, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry. It wasn't my fault. I was just trying to do what I was shown. So, oh, la, la. Yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, so you, uh, you went to Japan. I uh, did. For the, for the, for the Saito uh, conducting method. Yes. Have you, have you been to Europe? I haven't. No. Okay, so you concentrated your uh, your attention with the uh, with the, the the Saito in the Japan. Well, I I've, um, I taught in Brazil. Yes. I've, I've taught uh, several times in Memphis with yes. my good friend Michael Gilbert. 
who played in the New York Philharmonic for 30 years. I've taught in Boston at the Rivers Conservatory. Hmm. Uh, I just haven't had the opportunity, and, and frankly, I don't have the resources to go to uh, to Europe. I would be happy to go and work or collaborate there if I were invited to. But I mean, the, the, the conducting method must be similar. Absolutely not. No. Absolutely not. You know, the interesting thing is this method developed from uh, uh, Saito observing conductors from Europe. He was a yes. student of cello <laughs> in Europe in yes. the 20s. Yes. He was the principal cellist of the orchestra that became the NHK Orchestra when okay. a German Jew by the name of Joseph Rosenstock went there to conduct. Mm -hmm. And uh, Professor Saito studied with Maestro Rosenstock. And there are some videos on YouTube that show little bits of Rosenstock conducting. Okay. So it was an analysis of the gestures. And all of the big names, or I'll say many of the big names from Europe, had gone to Japan to conduct. Okay. And uh, so it essentially was a distillation of the European method. Okay. But there are some other influences okay. where people have their own ideas. And so, you know, for example, many German orchestras take pride in playing what's called behind the beat which okay. of course then provides a distance between what the conductor can do and what the players will play. And okay. I would suggest that that occurred because the players really couldn't figure out what the conductor was doing. <laughs> so, you know, that, that was a large part of it. The, yes, uh, when, I, when I looked at the Brittany conducting yes. uh, that piece, uh, that uh, play that was called Annie in Saskatoon. Yes. Uh, I had the impression she was very clear and uh, the musicians were following her very closely. Absolutely. She's a brilliant young woman and she's learned uh, lots of conducting technique, but she's also learned how to apply it. Yes. I mean, yes. that's that's the essence of all of this. Yes. Is that it's... it's yeah, she's, not, not, uh, she's not playing, uh, you know, uh, the, 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 the way you just described. <laughs> Um, yeah. I don't know. Understand your comment. She's not. Playing. She, she's not. She's not conducting the way you just described from uh, some some these from. Uh, uh, I guess uh, I haven't seen her video. But uh, the, the, from uh, from uh, the, the the this European way, uh, the the German European way. Oh, oh oh no no absolutely not no 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 they'll play with her and comfortably. Yes. She's earned lots of praise from our workshop orchestra over the years. Um, but, you know, being a conductor has so many different elements. And, of course, these days it helps if you can be the face of the orchestra, like Maestro Dudamel has been, a handsome young man, eloquent, um, and, you know, with that kind of fabulous energy that uh, has helped to propel the orchestras along. Uh, the people I've talked to said, yeah, he's the real real thing. I sometimes think he's so tense that uh, it may cause him some permanent damage. But uh, <laughs> regardless, you know, the players respect uh, I him. was, 
Yeah, I was quite impressed by Dudamel at first. Uh, not so much lately. Well, uh, you can get really tired, you know. The, <laughs> what do they say? The bloom is off the lily. So <laughs> uh, he has to learn a bit more rubato, if I can see in his uh, in his conducting. He's uh, I find him always on the beat. Yeah. Uh, it's exciting at first, but it gets boring uh, in the long term. I would invite you to look at the conducting gestures with the sound off. Yes. And we talked before about could you clap on the beat? Yes. But more importantly, could you clap evenly two or three times on each beat? Because that's where the power comes. You see, if you're going to do some rubato, yes. then you need to be able to extend, and sometimes it's very tiny. But if I'm yes. conducting one E and a two E and a three E and a, I often say, at what part of the four parts of the beat do I change direction? Yes. Well, people will say the half, halfway through it. And they mm -hmm. say, really? Watch again. One E and a two E and a three E and a. I don't know if it's clear coming across the internet that I don't change until after I've said that final ah. Mm. So, I have to be thinking about what do I want to do? If I change sooner, it yes. may mean that I want to accelerate. Yes. And so I have to be very much aware of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. um, I'd like to, to highlight one other thing. When we're dealing with this, we're not choreographing. Because, <laughs> um, you don't need to have a long hair and shake it all around. That's, well, it's not only that, it's, it's that it, some people think that the preparation for conducting is you work out every possible beat hmm. and, you know, you memorize what you're going to do. And uh, frankly, that's not the way at all. Saito says clearly in the book, when we walk, we just put one foot in front of the other. We walk. We don't calculate the distance we're going to walk. We don't can take, you know, we don't normally calculate the pace before we start walking. Yes. But we just walk. And yes. that's what we would like to be able to do. I have an image in my head of a sound. Hmm. I have an image of the sound demonstrating some kind of emotional contact content or demonstrating some kind of energy. I've often suggested that as a conductor, one of the things that I do is to, to portray energy, but I don't have to shake my head and my hair. I don't have to look angry. I don't have to do things that little children would laugh at <laughs> in order to get to convey the energy. So we're basically just playing with time and that becomes the essential element. Yes. And you know, there's a, uh, I had an opportunity to make some recordings with the youth orchestra. Well, I mean, it's more, it's more interesting when you have a bit, a bit of uh, choreography too, you know, I, that, I, I would not exclude that completely. What I'm suggesting is that we haven't, uh, or we, it's not useful for us to make every decision about the gestures we're going to make before the performance. I mean, we have to have a, a pretty good idea what we're going to do. Otherwise, it's a mess, right? Yes. So if we're doing the hurdles and we're running along and we forget there's a hurdle there, we're going to fall flat in our face. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we, we have to have this, this idea.
but mm -hmm. to try to think about how far will we go? What's the rate of acceleration? All the rest of that stuff. No, no, no. That's that takes the artistry out of it. Well, yes, so. it has to be. Uh, there has to be. Uh, it, has, it has to be spontaneous. Absolutely. If, and if it's if it's if it's, if it's true, too mechanical, that's uh, you, you, you're losing it. Yeah, that's right. And you need to have what Michael Gilbert calls being on the same page. Yeah. So the musicians and I, as a conductor, need to feel the subdivision of the beat in the same way. Hmm. So if they're feeling four parts per beat and I'm thinking three parts per beat, it's a mess. So the, unless the music's written that way, of course, then I have hmm. to figure out what am I going to do to get out of their way and allow, the, allow them to just play. So, and, and uh, you know, it's been over 70 years since the Japanese version of Saito's textbook was first printed. And uh, so it takes a long time to share some of these kinds of ideas, hmm. but I've become aware of the same kind of thing in, in other areas. For example, the bow hold on a violin. Yes, composers have to take into consideration how the, the instruments are uh, are built and what yes. the performers are able to do with the, the, their instruments, yes. But what I'm suggesting is that if you watch some players, they'll hold their bow with a straight thumb. If you see other technique, it's rounded. So the critical part here is, are there things that you can do with a straight and a rounded thumb that you can't do? Can you learn to do both of them. I mean, I've seen some students be berated because they're not holding the bow correctly, when essentially what we're trying to do is to make it fit the hand. Yeah. You know, and my story is watching Ruggiero Ricci play. Yes. Magnificent violinist. Then when I went to greet him later, I saw that he had a comparatively short thumb. That's why he was playing with a straight thumb. My thumb is longer. If I play with a straight thumb, I get tendonitis. Okay. So, you know, there's a, a really important idea technically where we need to look at what are we trying to do and how are we going to get there without hurting the players? <laughs> you know, that's the other thing. Okay. Yes. What would be your favorite composer? You know, uh -huh. for, for lots of different reasons, um, I, have, I have many. I think that that's the, the way. No, 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 I no, 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 no. You, you, of course, of course. You're, you're a man that, is, that has an open mind, that you like to get out of your comfort zone. Yeah, yes. You like to explore. But there's, there's some composers you go back to more than others that you like to uh, listen to or that you like to play. You know, interestingly, I suppose the piece that has come back to me many times is Bartok's Concerto for Orchestra. When I was okay. studying in Chicago, I had the thrill of going to the library and discovering that Reiner's score, his original score for the Concerto for Orchestra was there. And in the okay. back of the score, in red pencil, was the alternate ending. Okay. And I spent a long time with that score. 
and I got permission from the publisher. I was there four years, four summers. I got permission from the publisher to make a photocopy of that score, and I have okay. it. Okay. And um, it it was maybe like sitting with the Magna Carta, <laughs> you know. There's wow. a there's a certain kind of of thing. The inventiveness of the piece uh, is is one of the things. The challenges of conducting it are other things. Yes. Um, but you know, I studied with Maria Daskin. You almost had to take a blood oath that you would promote Canadian composers, right? Yes, which is kind of difficult. I'm, uh, you know, not not everybody knows them. It's it, it, they're kind of a modern uh, sounding. Uh, I, I'm more into my question. This concerns more if I see the 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 real classical conductors that with the, that that everybody knows now. Yeah. Well, Bartok Bartok would, would be a favorite. Is exciting. Klinikov <clears throat> one has always had, you know, a, a really good reception. Do you know Kalinikov? No. Oh, you'll be thrilled. He died very young. Okay. It's Canadian. Uh, no, Kalinikov was Russian, a contemporary of Tchaikovsky's. Okay. So you'll hear some of the same kinds of beautiful orchestrations and so on. Okay. Um, uh, the reason know, why, yes, the reason why I'm asking you this <clears throat> is because uh, people start, uh, you know, loving uh, classical uh, music. Um, you know that our best friends. I like to relate that one to this question of temperaments. Yeah. Okay, our best friends are those that have a temperament like ours. Uh, our closest friends, okay. because we're in the same wavelength. Yeah? Well, our spouse will be someone that will be complementary. Okay. So, depending on the on the composer that you like the most, <laughs> usually it would be your friend. Would would be similar to your to your temperament. How would you That's describe Bartok? How would you describe Bartok? Was he some? Would be? Would he be someone that is uh, pragmatic? Uh, uh, oh, incredibly you know, complex! Incredibly complex. Because a little bit like a little bit like Bach, I guess. Yeah, in in a quite different way, yes. But I think that uh -huh. there's there's a. I'll, I'll step back differently. I've been enjoying time to arrange and compose. Yes. And there's a certain notion in the craft of composition where you first of all say how can i extend the piece mm -hmm. and then what can i get rid of and i think that that becomes interesting when you look at a piece by some of the composers and you say there isn't a wasted note in this whole piece yes yes it, it all makes sense it's all part of this wonderful stew, if I can use a, that kind of metaphor. So okay, yeah. it's, it's absolutely delicious. If you took anything out of it at all, yes, then it falls apart. Know, yeah. So, you know, I just, um, I just had an experience working with a colleague who is a fine photographer and he entered his photographs along with a piece of my music uh, into a competition. And one of the things 
when I gave it to him, first of all, the piece was uh, about five and a half minutes long and he said, it's way too long. So I started going through it and trying to find out what could I take out of it. And I reduced it by about a minute. And uh, it's, it's uh, an experience that I wish more composers would have done, <laughs> you know? Uh, my, my dear friend, George Arpanche, who I referred to before, we sat in a concert one time in Banff and listened to a contemporary piece and George turned to me and he said, that guy just wasted 10 minutes of my life. So <laughs> the, the real, it, forces the real you, it forces you to come down to a piece where you cannot remove anything anymore. Absolutely. But also there's a sense of craft. Yes. How am I going to, if we look at it as a dramatic work, how am I going to sustain the interest? There's a magnificent interview by Ethan Cornfield done by the CBC of Murray Adaskin. You can probably find that on YouTube as well. Okay. And Dr. Adaskin said, in a concert, there's often a point of complete stillness. And then you know you've got the audience. They're really attentive to what's going on. Yes, if so, you don't hear if you don't hear any noise. Yes. So it's no coughing at that time. Uh, fascinated, they're completely uh, entranced by the material that's going on. And, you know, I mean, I think we need, in a broader sense, to, to answer your question, I don't particularly like to think of myself as being pigeonholed. I mean, one of my uh, favorite pieces is some of the stuff by Dave Brubeck. Um, yes. You know, Dr. Daskin studied with Darius <coughs> Neal. If you know the La Création du Monde from 1925, it's a magnificent work. If you know his uh, Le Boeuf sur le Toit that he wrote when he was in South America, it's, it's just sparkles with all kinds of piquant, right? It's tasty. And, okay. and there's, there's something there that will keep you going all the time. So. Uh, that's part of it. I also remember playing Mahler one when I was in Chicago. I was playing on viola, and it's enough to make the hair on your back, your neck stand on end. It's just so exciting, and it, it's uh, uh, refreshing. Might be the best term. Yes, orchestras about. like to play Mahler because yeah. the, uh, he gives he really gives a, a, a role to every musicians in the. In this composition that's right yeah so i hope i've answered your question um, not really not really not uh, the last one you did you are you're a bit shy of telling me if i can say who you truly are well who do you what do you think about uh, beethoven uh, do you like beethoven generally yes uh the cyto study number five is actually the andante from the first symphony Bayum, bum. Um, okay. the, you know, the, the tragedy of some of the Beethoven stuff, one of my favorite piece parts of his work is the Pastoral Symphony, number six. Yes. But I've heard it butchered so many times that you go oh, into yes. it, you go into they, it with they usually play it too heavily. Yeah, well, I mean, the, the most famous recording of it 
was probably done by the most famous conductor on earth uh, from Germany, who shall be nameless. But if you listen to the viola part, they can't play it because he has so much rubato. He doesn't allow the violas to play the part. <laughs> so otherwise, it's so fabulous. Unless yes. you play viola, then you can't play that part. There's no mm. time. Your notes are all squashed together differently. Okay. So, yeah. And you okay. know, the other the other aspect. Again, how could we? Is, how could how do we, we learn? How could we describe your wife? Uh, was she a, a fiery temperament? No, she's very patient. She's <laughs> tolerated me for more than 50 years. She gets the medal. She's, uh, she's observant, intelligent. Yes. Uh, very caring. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, dedicated. Okay, she so she's not the kids to the site. The she was the one who took the kids to the Suzuki lesson. So, so she's not the Beethoven type then. I don't, I don't know if I could pigeonhole her in in any way at all. I. She has the radio going all day, so she listens mm -hmm. to everything. Okay, I mean, most of it's the CBC, more classical material. So But she's a, she's a, the the passionate. Uh, she must be passionate. In her own way, yeah, 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 yeah. No? I think I think that the the one exciting thing for me has been to be free to yes. to explore things. When you have a surname like yours or mine, people assume certain things about us, right? Yes, yes. I'm not like that at all. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, so I went to I went to a to be a guest conductor of a large band group of a church group where many of the people had surnames similar to mine. Mm. And I said to my wife, what's going to happen when they find out I don't belong here? <laughs> so, mm. so that's the that's the critical part here. We we are so fortunate to be free, to be able to embrace the kinds of things from all of these different uh, aspects of our life. Yes. And I was adjudicating a number of years ago where a young First Nations boy who had been adopted by a Mennonite family was playing bagpipes in the festival. Mm. And I said, can you find anything more Canadian than that? Mm. You know, it's that, that mix yes. of, of, yeah. Uh, opportunities and all the rest of it so yes canadians are open are yeah. very uh yes yes we need to be yes oh, Other, yes otherwise we have no friends <laughs> well there's so much to explore we we don't pretend to know it all absolutely no yeah. it's, uh, wouldn't it be awful if we did yes so mr uh maestro maestro wayne no, just, toes just wayne yes <laughs> I thank you so. I thank you so much uh, for being uh, with us with uh, with with this on this interview uh, to help our listeners to understand how how music can make sense. I hope that people will have a chance to listen to Jose's piece, "The Dawn of Hope," 
and listen yes. to it in so many different versions, different performers, and listen to some of his other material, it by itself will be a, a magnificent education. And his work is so incredibly beautiful. So thank you. It's been a great pleasure to meet you. And I yes. celebrate what you've done here to provide people with some other ideas about how we can approach uh, music and to fall madly in love with it. Absolutely. Thank you so much once again. My pleasure. Thank you. Okay. God bless. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye.